0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: It's not like he has a love for lost souls. It's not like he has a love for Christianity. It's not that he has a love just for people. He is driven by his ultimate, complete surrender to Jesus Christ from a heart that says, I love you, Lord. And so that love is the love that sustains him to go through all the other junk he's gone through so that we could have what we have today. So yeah, he does love us because he loves him first. And the reason he loves us, we're talking now, Paul, the reason he loves us and the people in those days is because he loves the Lord. Watch this now. And the Lord loves us, and so he loves the Lord, and he will love what the Lord loves. And I'm going to flip it. And I also believe he hates what the Lord hates, which would be sin, that's another whole sermon, but let's get back to this. So he's a bond servant, and I love that because he didn't have to say that. Why did he say that? The bondservant was a trigger phrase to the Jews that were there in the church, born-again Jews, all right? But it was also a trigger word because most of those people were not the uppity-ups. They were mostly slaves themselves. So basically he's saying, hey, I'm writing to you guys. We're very much alike. I'm just a slave of Christ, and I know what slavery is a little bit about, but mine is towards the Lord. And he says, I'm a follower of Christ, and oh, how beautiful it is. If you look through this whole passage, just in verses 1 through 7, you're going to see a reference to Jesus Christ found at least nine times in those seven verses. But let's talk about the word apostle. He says, Paul, bondservant of Jesus Christ, called not as an apostle, but called an apostle. Just flat out, you are called an apostle. When I think about that phrase, called an apostle, you have to understand an apostle is nothing more than just uh, something that is sent. A ship that carries cargo is an apostle. It is carrying stuff to another place if you're an ambassador you have information from one country that you're now taking to another country paul says i'm an apostle of jesus christ So, in other words i am taking the message of christ to people so i am an apostle and in those days you were called an apostle but to be a biblical new testament apostle you had to have at least three requirements you had to see the lord paul did that you had to be instructed by the lord commissioned by the lord he was that and then thirdly, you had to do signs and wonders of all of that. And the reason you did the signs and wonders is because the word of God, the canon, the Bible was not closed. So you need to have something to validate you around other people. Once all that was done, you didn't need to do the signs and wonders any longer. And there are no other people mentioned beyond Paul that is an apostle. And there is no verse in the Bible that says the apostleship is to be propagated or uh, potentially put throughout the rest of time. So apostleship ended here, which now means, for those of you that are aware, there's a new movement today called the apostolicity Movement where people today are sensing that just in the days of the Bible, there are apostles then, there are apostles today. I have messages from the Lord. And what that is really saying is, what I say is equal to the Bible, or maybe even more important, because it's more current than what the Bible has to say. And now you get into nothing more than a lot of gobbledygook and a lot of stuff that's a great problem. So be careful of that apostolic movement that's out there. It ended with the Apostle Paul. He was an apostle. I like that aspect about him being um, an apostle that's called... Because it flips us to the next part of the verse. It says he was set apart for the gospel of God. Now that word set apart is not a big phrase. It just kind of means like horizon, kind of like I'm contained. This is who I am. This is my little box. I'm set apart to do this. This is my job and it was to do the gospel. When I did a study on this set apart for the gospel, here's what I found out. Listen carefully. This is so cool. Listen, this is, this is rich. I've got to share this with you. In Galatians chapter 1, before he was converted, he says he was set apart by God. Listen carefully. In Acts chapter 9, at his conversion, he was. it's said in Scripture, he was set apart by Christ. After his conversion, not at the time of it, but after his conversion, in Acts chapter 15, it says that he was set apart by the Holy Spirit. So three different entities of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three of them, the Trinity says... Paul is set apart. Now, the big deal isn't that God did this, Jesus did that, Holy Spirit. What the big deal is, it once again, in a very veiled way, but accurate way, shows the Trinity of God. You're seeing something really huge when you read the book of Romans and what God did in Paul's life and what God wants to do in your life, in my life. The Trinity, the Godhead is involved in this thing. You have importance, you have value, you have worth before the Lord. And you're set apart for that. I got thinking about that. Paul said, "I was set apart my mother's womb." For a moment, let's let's come up for air. You're set apart. You are in God's mind before you're ever in your mother's womb. The first thing He set you apart was is that you were to be given life in the womb. Now there are some that were given life in the womb and then they died. I get that, but you haven't been. You're still alive. You're here. Secondly, when you're in the womb, God then divided up and decided for you. You were set apart to be. Look up here, a male or a female. You were set apart. So to want to be anything that God then did not set you apart to be is to saying God made junk, God made a mistake, I shouldn't do this, this is what I need to do. So you're set apart for that. Now from the womb, you're also set apart for various things, from personalities, etc., and I don't have time to just open up this whole concept of you being set apart. But to speed up the process of being set apart, the first thing you're set apart is for you to come to faith alone in Jesus Christ. I pray that today that you'd realize that you're a sinner. You need a Savior. There's only one way to have Jesus as your Savior is to trust in Him and Him alone to have salvation. But that doesn't end it. It's not like I'm saved and I can go live as I please. I'm saved. Now I am saved. I will not lose that salvation. But I'm saved for a purpose. It's to glorify the Lord. So now I need to discover what is that purpose. What is that purpose? Well, first of all, it's an inner character. I'm set apart to be pure and holy. I'm set apart to be morally pure. I'm set apart to live for the Lord according to his power and strength. I get all of that. That's the character. But it's more than that. He just didn't want you to be a good, whatever you want to be, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. He also has a plan and purpose for your life. You're set apart for that. Paul was set apart for you, a preacher, teacher, and apostle. I get that. Here in this context, an apostle. He's emphasizing that because of other issues, but here it is. So that means you and me, what are you set apart to do? Help your kids to discover what they're set apart to be. In this case, he's set apart for the gospel. To me, that is absolutely huge to be set apart for the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Well, that brings us to the second point, and that is the proclamation. The proclamation of Paul was the gospel. He has set apart for the gospel. Well, the gospel is like good news. That's what it means. It means good news. For some of us, you know, that doesn't connect real well, so maybe this will connect with you. Those of you that lived during World War II, and when World War II was finished in Europe and Japan, they had splashed across, you know, the headlines, the war is over. Do you remember that? All right? It was like the gospel. The war is over. We won. How about you young people? When you finally get your diploma from high school, it's like, I've graduated. That's good news. How about you when you found out that you were gonna have a child? We're pregnant. Now I get that, we're pregnant, but it's really the wife who carries the pregnancy. But the guy's there a little bit, you know what I'm saying. But we're pre- they're so excited about that. How about the woman who says, hey, guess what happened to me Friday night? And they're showing that ring off. I just got engaged. Well, all of that is great and I don't want to minimize all the accomplishments and the blessings of all of that, but all of that's going to perish with you if you can't say, I've got the greatest news of all. Jesus died, he rose again, I trusted Christ, he is my savior and I'm going to live forever. And that's what he wanted to preach to everybody. And I love that. It's really not a religious term at all. It's just a good news. I passed the test. I'm ready to go. But what about this gospel that uh, he says so much about it? Look in the passage. He said it was promised in Scripture. This is very important. You're going to hear something here to answer a lot of questions. He says, Which he, God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Which means that Jesus was promised in the Old Testament... The way of salvation was promised. That's the gospel. The death and resurrection of Christ was promised beforehand. The, the writers of the Old Testament, the prophets, and it can go all the way back to Moses and others that spoke for God, I want you to know that all of them were focusing on the person of Jesus Christ. So it was promised ahead of time. To me, that is so very, very valuable when I think about it. Look up here for just a moment. It would be like a little rose, Rosa Sharon. All right, a little rose pokes its little... Stem out of the dirt, and we see it. Now we would have to be a botanist to maybe know that that little stem that's poking itself out of the dirt is a rose. We'd have to know enough about it to maybe be able to spot it. But it's all rose. Now it doesn't have all the buds yet. It doesn't have all the blooms yet. It doesn't have all the thorns yet. It doesn't have all the leaves, but we know that it's that. That's Jesus. And the coming one who would pay for sin all the way back to the book of Genesis. So it starts there and it starts growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. growing. So it's basically saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Now most of the Old Testament, the people were understanding the Messiah is coming to rule and reign for, for Judah and take care of all of Israel. They were hearing that, but it was kind of getting louder and louder and louder and louder and louder. Now you get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Now it's not... He's coming. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. And as you get into the New Testament, He's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. Now when you take all of that, He's coming. He's here. He's coming again. You wrap that all the way into the Old Testament and what you've got is the gospel starting in the Old Testament and growing further on. You need more reference on that? Just go to the book of Hebrews now, chapter 1 in your own time, and you're going to see where this thing keeps getting up and up and up as He's promising this as it moves forward. And it's not just... Hebrews talking about the Old Testament. Many of the Old Testament prophecies about Christ's coming is already mentioned. But then it goes on to say he's a person. Con- these statements in the Old Testament is concerning his son, Jesus, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. All that means that our Savior had to be 100% human man. I wish I had time to unpack all of this phrase, but basically all I want you to know from this is the fact that while Jesus and the gospel was presented in the Old Testament, it was also to let you know that Jesus Christ was 100% human, all right? Now, let's go to the third one quickly before you leave here, and that is he was also 100% God. Who then says, "...who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness." Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that is a mouthful and I get all of that but look at it very carefully. The first part of it says human basically of the Seed of David. All right, then. He was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection. This lets you know that Jesus is the only person who was dead, 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 was resurrected and given life. I know Lazarus was, but Lazarus died later on anyway. Jesus never did. So he is resurrected from the dead. He is the resurrection and the life. How did he do this? Watch this now. According to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, now, if you look at this, pray, this, this verse, watch very carefully as I show you how this wonderful verse unpacks for us. I want you to see that in the whole person of Christ, you're going to see the Trinity again. Go back up to verse 1. It says, He set apart for the gospel of who, everyone? God. All right. Verse 4, it says, According to the Spirit, which would be the Holy Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All of the Spirit in Christ are together because it's about the person and work of Christ here. And God is the author of all this because that's the gospel of God going on at the same time. Are you getting all of that? Now, that may not mean a whole lot to you, but what this is doing now, it's validating your faith that you have a truth, a book that is superior to any other religious writing that's out there it's superior to any other religious figure who makes all sorts of claims, even in the name of Christ, it separates all of that, that this lets you know that this is all about the Trinity. And now when I look at the gospel in this, watch this now, look up here. I was called, like Paul was, by God, by Christ, by the Holy Spirit. Watch this. But I'm also saved by the gospel through God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So I have the entire Godhead that's concerned about my physical life coming into this world and my life here. And he's concerned about my eternal life later on. It's all wrapped up in God. Why don't we surrender to him as a believer in Christ? Why don't we get to know this book and live for him and the spirit of holiness? Rule and reign in our heart through the person of Jesus Christ. Man, how rich that is. But that's not all. If you go a little bit further, it says in verse 5 Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. So, the gospel is also the gospel of grace. It's not the gospel of good works, it's the gospel of grace. Oh, how much I love that. The gospel of grace. I'm saved by grace, I'm kept by grace, I'm disciplined by grace. And I look for the soon coming of Jesus Christ by grace. It's all of God's grace. And that's the emphasis there. But stay in the same verse because it talks one more step. And that is this gospel that is all about grace... Nothing that I do to go to heaven. This same gospel is meant for the entire world. It says to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. All right, look up here for just a second now. When you read that phrase, obedience of faith, some of you are saying, see, pastor, you talk always, it's faith alone in Christ alone by the glory of God. You you talk about all that alone in faith, but here it says the obedience of faith. And so therefore you must obey and do good works in your faith. And so faith without works is dead. You know we're on the radio here, but we're also on in San Antonio. I got this long letter from someone, two letters actually, from two different people. One of them says, you know you talk about people just trusting Christ as Savior. Don't they need to walk an aisle and do all of that stuff? No, it's in your heart. The other stuff comes afterwards, not to get saved, but because you are. The last one was, was a whole factor here about, what about James chapter 2? Faith without works is dead. So I had to open that all up to him to explain to him. And it was like scales came off of his eyes when the word of God was properly exposited to him and what that actually means. So what is the faith obedience all right. the obedience of faith how does that fit together when Jesus says and he talks to all of us he says believe in him we have a choice the truth is Jesus is God he died and he rose again that's true the second thing I need to do is I need to believe that that is accurate that's truth I got that that is truth I have to hear it I know that's truth But now for me, I'm placing my faith in that because God says that in order for me to have eternal life, I must choose to trust Christ as my Savior. I can know the truth and I'll still go to hell. I can know it's by faith alone and still go to hell. But I can never go to hell if I place my faith alone in Him. Watch this, watch this. In obedience to Him to put my faith in Christ. Now the beauty of it all, the Holy Spirit is already helping our obedient button. Because he's already causing us to be convicted in our desperate need for Christ. He's also prompting us that we can't get to heaven by anything we do ourselves. So it must be him. He's the only way. He's putting a stake out in front of me and not garbage. And so I'm placing my faith in him. I am now doing this based on his prompting. But I still have to make the choice. Pastor explained that. Frankly, I can't explain that. But there is an obedience, but it is a faith. One person said, belief is the only work that's not a work. Maybe that works for you. I don't know. That's what he's talking about. But look at the last phrase. It says, Obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Now, the emphasis is a little more on Gentiles because there was probably more Gentiles in the Roman church. Later on, you'll find out, and probably not today because I'm going to have to end this message now. and I'm sorry about it, but uh, listen carefully. He recognized that outside the Jewish tradition, which mainly felt like what could be known about God should be known about God and followed God would be the Jewish people. Everybody else would be a non-Jew, and the non-Jew would be Gentiles. And so what's happening now is that there's this great push to take this message that was given to the Jewish people, that's the Jew first, now to be thrust into a Gentile world culture out there, so he's now moving to the Gentiles, and he's now speaking to that. And I said all that to say this about our church here. I'll wrap this up now with this. I'll end with this point. So listen carefully. I began by saying that the Apostle Paul really was God's man because he began in God's mind and God shaped him so many years ago and then filled him with the fullness of God in such a way that he would then be prompted by the Holy Spirit, empowered, breathed into him the words so that we would have it today. And we are, watch this, we are a result of this book here, so to speak. We are we a are result of God's teaching in this book right here through the Apostle Paul. And so those of you who are non-Jewish in this context, then you trusted Christ. You were a Gentile. And this message, the obedience of faith, that was given to Paul through the gospel to make that proclamation everywhere came down to us. So now as I look at our church and I walk by our mission board over here, we are a church that as little as we are and as as much unknown as we are as a church, we have chosen the sacrifice in some measure to equip those who felt called to go into missions and then to fund them and then to pray for them and to support them and listen very carefully we have missionaries not many for billions of people in asia we need more we have missionaries that are even here on our own island because we can't do it and they are carving themselves out a mission work among people that are we don't touch but they're right here they sometimes come to church they're our missionaries Some are incarcerated in their own little mission field there. Not missionaries, but they're reaching them. We move off of here. We've got missionaries in the United States that are doing a great job, that we're supporting them in the United States doing their work. We're going to talk about mainland United States now. And then we have missionaries that are in Central and South America. Millions of people, a couple of missionaries, now from our church. Now, I'm not saying they're the only ones that have it right, we're the only ones doing it. I'm just saying, just so you have a picture of just our people doing this. We moved to the United States and South America. You go into Europe. We have them in Europe. We have them in now the Middle East, that I can't even tell you much more about, that they're in the Middle East doing this. We have those that are in Africa. So when you look at our little church and you look at the size of the globe and the billions of people that are here, this is all a result of the Apostle Paul who had such a passion, such a desire to proclaim this message that even today we're trying to reach people for Jesus Christ on a global basis. And I want to partner with that. I want to be a part of that. And I pray that you will be too. It's the whole word going to the whole world. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, I want to give you an opportunity now just to uh, resonate a little bit with what was said here today. This was a big bite of the apple, a lot of information, a lot of truth. We talked about the Trinity, so you can see it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three are one. Yet all three have little different ministries, but they are all together doing it. Interesting. I spoke to you about the gospel of God, and a few verses later I didn't bring this out, but it talks about the gospel of Christ. So even in this passage you see God and Christ used synonymously. Why? Because they are one. That's why we do not embrace any of the cults and their belief systems. Because either they raise up man to a level of God or a writing to the level... They're writing to the level of scripture, or they make Christ less than God. And so this is who He is. The question is, is, who are you and me? We're in the mind of God before we're ever born. He allowed us to be born, wanted us to be born, and in His own sovereign, we He brought you underneath the sound of the Word of God today to hear this message. I pray that you realize it as special as you are to God, because you are. The highest of all of His creation, man, woman. But you can also be His child, His son or His daughter in a very unique way that everything He gives to God the Son, He will give to you. But you must come to Him as as you are as a sinner, as we all are, and say, Lord, I'm I'm really nothing. I come to you without promising you that I'll start this or stop that. I'm coming to you just as I am. And I believe that Jesus is God and that Jesus died and He rose again. And so, Lord, I'm accepting the payment that you chose to make for me on the cross that was already spoken about in the Old Testament as it was prepared, as it got louder and louder and then described and spoken about in the Gospels. And now I'm reading about as a post-experience of people knowing you and seeing you after your resurrection but before your ascension. And so, Lord... I want to thank you for allowing me to be a part of your forever family by the forgiveness of all my sin through Jesus Christ. So, Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the peace I have with you now that I'm not your enemy any longer and never will be. And I thank you for the peace that you've given to me, your peace inside of me that I now have sins forgiven, the hope and assurance of salvation in heaven. Now, my friend, what you've just done through something kind of like that mental transaction is you are being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from the kingdom of eternal death to the kingdom of eternal life. I'm not speaking gobbledygook and Christianese. I'm speaking truth, depth of truth to you that's easy to understand by the Spirit. So are you now, in your own way, placing your faith in Jesus? Are you obeying the Lord, doing what He's telling you to do to go to heaven? Doing what he's telling you to get the full forgiveness forever of your sin by placing your faith in Christ. I'd like to pray for you. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Just so you know that raising your hand, me praying for you, filling out a card, walking in an aisle, saying anything out loud, none of that is something you do to get saved or to stay saved. I'm just praying for you because I love you and I want to welcome you into God's family. So with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would there be anyone here today that's ready to say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Because I've trusted Christ as my Savior just a moment ago, and I'm so excited that I know that I've been called in His forever family. And if you would mean that without saying a word, without anyone looking around, and as quietly as you can, Would you pop up your hand so I could see it if today is the day you're trusting Christ as your Savior? Would you put it up right now? Anyone at all? Okay, Christians, for you now, there was a lot in there, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit in you sort out the application for your life. You're part of His family. You're part of the called. You're part of the redeemed. And are you now fulfilling His word because you love Him as a bondservant would, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that even in this little snapshot of the first part of the mini-autobiography of the Apostle Paul, that it is just dripping with deep truths of you. That, Father, we're not studying so much the life of Paul. He's just the porthole into this beautiful, beautiful world of Christianity where you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, Lord, thank you that as we look through Paul, we then see you. And so, Father, we worship you and we love you. And that makes obeying you so much easier. In Jesus' name.